Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. monster the Japanese call Godzilla has just walked out of Tokyo Bay. We begin the attack on Earth now. We persuaded the thing to help you with what little power it has left. Godzilla now reigns supreme and will, in all probability, continue his march towards Tokyo, destroying everything in his path as they go. You may wish to deny it, but your eyes tell you it's true. Hey, well, this is the Kaiju Cast, uh, the bi-monthly podcast, 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. My name is Kyle, and welcome to episode 76, which is the second episode for February 2012, which means it's our Daikaiju discussion for a very special move me. Move me? It does move me. Have another drink. Uh, a very special movie <laughs> in my heart. Uh, the 1956 Rodan, and I have a full house here tonight. We have Mr. Martin Vavra. Say hello. Hello. And Mr. Jeff Dean. Hi. And, of course, Rachel. Hello. And Brian Cook. Hey, what's up? And a very special guest joining us for the first time in person, but he's been on the show uh, once or twice, just once, right? Once, This yes. is Keith Foster from Kodoja, a.k.a. Uh, well, actually, it's Pig Pimp Jones is, mm-hmm. the, is the name of the band, essentially, yes. right? And so Kodoja is the project we've been playing a ton of recently on the show. And so welcome welcome to the KaijuCast HQ. Honored to be here. And uh, we are going to kick things off with some music, just as we normally do. And because uh, this this movie, this film, is so near and dear to my heart, we're actually going to start things off um, with uh, with some Rodan music. This one is called "Birth of Rodan." Oh, no, it's not. It's not responding. It's just sitting there, spinning the wheel. Thank you, Macintosh or Apple or whatever people call it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Stretch it out. Stretch it out, you guys. Uh, Anyway, so we're going to start things off with a song from the 1956 Rodan film called Birth of Rodan from Akira Ifukube.
The fourth one was where they really... Yeah, let's talk about Jaws <laughs> on the show. That's just what everybody likes. Well, there was a Jaws in 3D. Yeah, there was, was a 3D Jaws. 3D. Dennis uh, Quaid was in it. And Leah Thompson. <laughs> yes, right? So we just heard uh, several several tracks from uh, from Godzilla's stuff and related. Uh, we started things off with Birth of Rodan by Akira Fukube from tonight's movie, Rodan. And then we uh, actually followed that up with something from Project Kyojo, which uh, yep. Keith Foster from Kadoja and Big Pimp Jones is here. That was a secondary CD that you guys put out, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Uh, kind of that- a prequel. Yeah, and so that was the second track we heard. We, the, the last track was called Godzilla versus Radon 3, and uh, that was from Ghidra, the Three-Headed Monster. We're going to have a lot of Rodan-themed music on this episode. Uh, but right now, we're actually uh, going to get going because our it's time for us to do our Daikaiju discussions. Every month, the Kaiju Cast showcases one particular film from the giant monster landscape and tasks the listeners with submitting thoughts, questions, and reviews for the following episode. Thanks to an online tool, I've randomly assigned one movie to each month, solidifying that the show will keep going for a long, long time. According to August Ragone's book, Eiji Tsuburaya, Master of Monsters, like the first Godzilla film, Rodan's initial concept was born from a real-life tragedy. An Air National Guard pilot in Kentucky crashed his plane while allegedly chasing after a UFO. <laughs> Gesundheits, bless you. Uh, this inspired Tomiyuki Tanaka and author Ken Kurunama... No, that's not right. Author Ken Kuronuma to write the treatment for Rodan. In the same way that Godzilla was born from the terrible incident with the Lucky Dragon number five, although not as heavy-handed. This was the third giant monster on the loose installment from Toho, and therefore one of the building blocks for the kaiju genre. Because there was no formula, Rodan, or as it was called in Japan, Sora no Daikaiju Radon, it starts off more like it's an American atomic monster movie, but becomes something different and almost splits into a second film after the first act. Now, we are actually sitting here. We have not watched the movie tonight, so we're going to go do that right now. And we've returned from watching Rodan. And uh, so who here has not seen this film before tonight? I know one or two hands should go up. I have not, Martin. Okay, Martin has not seen it before. And same here. This is Rachel, Rachel if you couldn't tell. Not- <laughs> the only the only lady here tonight has not seen this before. Okay, so everybody else had seen it. So why don't we actually start with you guys? Wait, you'd seen it, right? Yes. Okay, so yes. Uh, we'll start with you guys. Rachel, what were your initial thoughts on Rodan? We watched the Japanese uh, version with the English subtitles. My initial thoughts are that it was very enjoyable. I thought that it was interesting to see both... Um, the Rodans and the what are they called? The mega oh the mega, mega neurons, new yeah. neurons mega neurons. What were they? I, I say mega neuron because I think that's the first time I saw it written out. It was with an R, but ah. it's Japanese, so mega neuron. Just like say? Angerus angulus, you know exactly same kind Angirasu. of deal. Yes, mega neuron. But I I liked the mix of monsters in it, and I thought that it was cool to see Rodan first with the silhouette as kind of the initial introduction to Rodan. I thought that was neat. Very cool. Very cool. How about you, dude, Martin? Uh, it was all right. I, I had my issues with a few things. Everybody keep in mind okay, that the first <laughs> negative comment about my first kaiju film ever, Rodan, gets 
get you a swift kick in the. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, this you're. Yeah, yeah. No, no. So you. So yeah, it was uh, not what you expected as far as like action or interestingness or uh, keeping you know, your attention. I, it was. Or, it, it was. Uh, is it? I think the fourth time they went down into the mine, it was like. Can we pick another place to go where everybody oh, keeps okay. going down? <laughs> I mean, really, it was just like that. Because to me, for the most part, the movie was really slow at that point in time. But everybody kept going back down into the mine. And I was like, does nobody remember what, what just happened? Yeah. <laughs> this time we'll send three people. Yeah. Next time we send 12 people. Yeah. Now we're sending 14 people. I'm like, your numbers aren't mattering, folks. <laughs> it's one tunnel and no one's coming back. At least there's a lot of death every time, right? <laughs> well, that, that well, makes last sense. last miners were good. Send more, yeah. please. Yeah. Send more miners. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so overall, though, aside from the mining the mind scenes like what's what was your impression of the overall thing like is your initial thought like they spent too much time in the mines or they could no, have used I, more locations or? uh i really felt like it was trying to be godzilla 2.0 really okay i did i did i really felt like hey we're mining we can maybe that's like almost nuclear radiation and then we'll have monsters and they will maybe be the thing that right. is coming here to take care of our awful consumption of coal. But they don't, you know, they don't ever bring up coal. They don't ever discuss it. There's clearly a moral to the nuclear radiation and all that. That never plays into it. So the coal was, I guess, a simple way to be subterranean and all of that. But it, so that's, I guess, why it kind of felt yeah, a little less to me because it almost was like, that was there because they even brought up the global warming thing. Yes, I'm glad you the, mentioned that. That the, was like one of the couple was, things that you're as you're talking, yeah. like my brain, my synapses are firing off. So like the global warming thing, I never even knew that was an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this in was 1956. 56. I was gonna say 58. Okay. So I'm kind of wondering, like, was did and this is a this is a question, a quick question, open to everybody. Did everybody get that that was sort of like what? the cautionary tale was here was global warming or what was it? What was the cautionary tale here in this, in this film? I, I, I think it was a, it was like put five things in a bowl and, and they're all kind of cautionary. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know my academic history back then. Right. I, I thought that the, the global warming thing was interesting because it was like, Whoa, 1956, they're talking about global warming. Right. You know, I mean, Al Gore really went back in time to totally pioneer this thought, you know. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, that was, that was one thing. And I mean, in, in the overall history, like, you now we know Martin the real inconvenient truth. But, but the, I Rodan mean, is the inconvenient truth. Yes. Yeah, like, like plate tectonics wasn't even an, an accepted theory back then. So it's interesting that global warming was accepted when like, people weren't even sure of the concept of other things about the planet. So I, I it, it's, it's weird for me to go back and try to put that all together. I mean, the, the nuclear thing almost felt like an afterthought, you know, like, like you get way in the movie and then all of a sudden it's like, we think it's nuclear. Nice, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So uh, I'm not sure there was a cautionary. Tale. Yeah. You guys have any Jeff that you have a mic in front of you right now? I I believe it's the global warming thing is the uh, the predominant cautionary element of the film. Yeah. Okay. So global warming, anti-global warming message yes. for you guys. I didn't quite get that feeling. It was weird to see that. Uh, like like you said, Keith. But it 
I I think it didn't really have a cautionary tale so much as it was patterned more after. It felt really like an American monster movie where it's kind of yes. Uh, and people have said that about the film, so it's not uh, it's not an original idea I'm throwing out there, but I definitely agree with it. I uh, it felt more just like there's a monster on the loose kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, and so. that's actually that was one of the other things that I wanted to mention is like if you think about this in terms of you know when we watched uh, Gigantus the fire monster last month right last month was that yeah I think yes. so yeah when we watched Gigantus the fire monster. Uh, one of the things that we were saying is, you know, well, this is the second Godzilla movie ever. This, there's no formula. This is not, uh, this is not something that we're dealing with in in terms that you like. Why is this different from all the other movies? There were no other movies. You know, everything that they're that we're seeing is being patterned at right now from the first Godzilla movie and then Godzilla raids again and now um, Rodan. In 1956, time travel stuff. Uh, what we're seeing is Toho's response and mm, imitation, in a sense, of like what they know. They they've seen American and you know they've seen giant monster movies, but they've all been from another country. And so this is sort of like there. I I really get the feeling that they're feeling their way through this, and that's why we get another whole grip of movies that are not necessarily giant monster movies maybe they have some elements like mysterians and of course veron is a is a giant monster movie but then it takes them another what's 56 so it takes them another six years before they get to a monster versus monster film with uh, king kong versus godzilla and i think that king kong versus godzilla sort of sets up the formula for the rest of the series these earlier films don't quite have the the Japanese monster movie feel, with the exception of I'd say Mothra. That was really the first one that I felt had more of a distinctly Japanese feel. Mothra is very interesting in 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 that respect, but it's it's also the same kind of thing. You're still dealing with some kind of giant monster on the loose, at one singular monster, or you know something, it, some master threat, I guess you could say, to the movie, to the to the characters in the plot. And but it's just done very differently. It's very theatrical. It's a huge film. And you know, we talked about Mothra a long time ago. It's a lovely, lovely film. I love that film. And I'm not not even kidding. Just because you're here, Jeff. I'm yes. serious. Like, <laughs> sure. Yeah. I'm not pandering to the. Guest. I'm not. I'm not pandering to, to Jeff. <laughs> the, the Mothra is a is a delightful film, and it's very beautifully shot, and it's just very awesome. But in uh, Rodan, I I still feel that Rodan. Uh, falls into that sort of singular monster movie where they're just sort of like still trying to feel things out. And I think, yes, by the time they get to Mothra, uh, things have, they're starting to solidify that formula in a sense, even if it's just a single monster. It's very, it is a very different film, but at the same time, you don't get that whole like monster versus monster thing. And then King Kong versus Godzilla had such huge results you know financially speaking did so well in the theaters that that's when they were like yes monster on monster action is where it's at so um i totally agree with you about that i i think also um when, when you view all of the films in, in retrospect where we are now it makes rodan very fresh though which is cool because it's finding its way you know the, the genre itself is finding its way so it it stands out uh, a lot easier in my mind when I go back and and 
think about all the monster films as a whole. Oh, yeah. makes sense, you know? Well, I would say, uh, I mean, uh, not disagreeing by any means, but I would say that uh, it, this is uh, like what we were talking about with Godzilla Raids again or Gigantus the Fire Monster. This is like essential monster viewing. This is a building block of what we know as kaiju films. And yeah, to, to go back and see that, it's almost... Uh, it's almost as awesome to watch Rodan as it is to to watch the first Godzilla movie because you're talking about the very first excursions into giant monster, you know, history, really. It's one of the landmarks of, you know, monster movies. For sure. I mean, I love that, you know, it has like a, it, you know, it takes its time in telling its story and there's a mystery there, you know, like you don't really know what, you know, what is going on. Um, and I do agree with Brian in that it really, you can tell it's influenced a lot by the, uh, 1950s American monster movies, especially, I think the first act seems very, um, influenced by Gordon Douglas's Them. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I read a Even to little, the sound little bit of research on that. that yeah. You know, the sound that the, uh, the chittering sound yeah, of the Meganurons. Almost. Meganulons. Uh, very similar to the ants in Meganulons. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I want to actually talk about the, those real quick. Um, because the, the movie is almost broken up into the sort of acts that are very, very, uh, the, the line is drawn here, you know, they're very delineated. So this first act is so much like a horror film because I actually, when I saw this as a kid, it actually scared me. This is one of the first few movies that I ever saw that like that sound, like the, when I heard it, Years and years and years later, it just all came flooding back to me, and I was like, "Oh, those giant crazy bugs!" Like, and and now seeing it, they're not as scary as they were when I was a <laughs> yeah. kid. That's a very serious film, too. Yeah, yeah, definitely you know, serious. Like it's, you know, not no humor. Yeah, no, no humor. No jokes. I mean, I think any any humor that that we found in it was was unintentional humor. Yeah, just so. a translation of. Yeah, a little bit of a translation. Subtitles. Thing. God damn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we saw the, uh, we saw, what was it? Uh, 90% the egg was, no, yes. 100%. It's completely <laughs> calcium. It's completely calcium. What yeah. percentage of it? 90%. <laughs> That's that other 10% variance you got to worry about there in your eggs. Uh, anyway, so we're totally breaking from normal convention here where we talk about, you know, initial thoughts and what we liked, what we didn't like, all that good stuff. Um, I'm fine with just keep, keeping that going. Um, so uh, I know we had some people taking notes throughout the movie. Does anybody want to uh, shed some light on some of the things that they observed whilst we were enjoying said film? Rachel? I, I personally <laughs> adored the the little baby Rodan when they first showed him breaking out of the egg. I'm a, I'm it was cute. It was cute. <laughs> I'm a sucker for cute monsters and baby monsters and i think i like all the baby monsters in all monster movies (laughs) (laughs) well they're very they're cute and terrifying at the same time yeah it's it's great um and and so i i enjoyed that part of it uh especially i like how they did that scene with him it was shiguro or shigiro 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 uh, that's I can't say these. <laughs> it's Jap- <laughs> Japanese names. It's terrible. 
Um, I can't say English names. (laughs) 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 Kile over here. Um, Hey, that's um, me. Oh. (laughs) But the, I liked how they showed um, him with looking at the little, um, the little bird's eggs first, and then mm-hmm, they morph mm-hmm. into the Rodan eggs. I, in what was it? Was it a dream sequence he was in in that part? That was his flashback. For, it was a flashback. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, I thought that was awesome. Oh man, that was actually when I got to talk to Kenji Sahara at G Fest like a few years ago. That was like the because uh, I was like very quickly had to come up with questions and so forth for for Sahara. And uh, that was one of the things that I remember telling him. It's just like the the look on his face and like the intensity that he's sort of like looking at those eggs. It's like I it was sold. Like I totally believed he was flashing back and remembering uh, the terror that was instilled in him from the, the from seeing the gigantic eggs. And oh my god! Like if you think about how big those mega neurons were when they were attacking the people. And then yeah. how small they were with the baby Rodan, a tiny Rodan, yeah. like those things that I think that's one of the only times I've actually felt a real sense of like dwarfing in like almost immeasurable scale from these from these movies. You know, Godzilla is always like he's huge and on the screen he's big and, you, you know, but seeing something like Godzilla never really he picks up trains, but trains are Trains are big, yeah. you know. You, yeah. I couldn't tell you how large a train was, like just off the top of my head, maybe thirty feet long, ten, twelve <laughs> feet high, something. I don't know, but like those, because the mega neurons attack the people, you get a very strong sense of scale to the people to a mega neuron, and then of course to see those tiny little bugs being picked up by the tiny. Not tiny, but the gigantically small babies. <laughs> it's just really cool. Which is why I was questioning the whole thing with like that was. Do you realize that was trip number four down the mine? They they recover him. He has no memory. He has his flashback. He actually takes the flash card and like, yep, that's what I saw. Can you show us where it is? And they go back down there, and I'm like, really? What? Uh, <laughs> you guys remember the whole pistol problems that you were having with yeah. the one, and yeah. this thing's like dwarf uh, bird food for this thing, and you're running back in there with a half dozen guys <laughs> and good intentions? What is that? <laughs> yeah, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? <laughs> it was for, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. The Mega Nulons reminded me of uh, Gamera 2, because we rarely see monsters that are human sized oh yeah for the legion come, soldiers yep. yeah yeah and obviously mega nulons come back for mega gears but yeah yeah and, and actually it. they're even they're even more terrifying which of course you know looking at the film now the 1956 mega neurons are not exactly that terrifying in fact they're uh when they're up close and personal and the dude in the suit they're kind of goofy looking kind of clunky but when they're up on the hill being puppets, uh, you yeah. know, stick puppets, they're really not uh, scary. They probably use cooties toys for those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the uh, the ones that appear in uh, Godzilla X Megaguirus are actually pretty pretty gnarly looking. They're gross. This is another movie we also have, you know, some carnage, some, you know, yeah. bodies shown. Yeah, body shown. Uh, Rodan deals some death along with the the insects too, for sure. You know, again, sort of that whole like trying to feel their way through these giant monster movies. That's sort of what 
I love about this film in retrospect. You know, obviously when I was a kid, I was like, that's a giant pterodactyl. Or, that's not true. I knew it was a pteranodon as a kid. Like I was a huge dinosaur fan. So, uh, but yeah, like uh, notes. You guys took some notes. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, let's hear from Keith, our well, guest, who who's who's joining us here in the Kaiju Cast. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I, I it, it's hard. You, you know, you can't put them all up uh, against each other. But but the miniature work was seemed really strong. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things of like when when I think back on the film. What are the couple images that stick in my head? The shingles getting blown off the roof is one, you know, the, mm-hmm, the little mm-hmm. miniature oh, shingle yeah, yeah. effect. And I was like, every time I see it, I'm like, that is pretty cool. That I is, think they that- do that again in, in other movies too. Mm-hmm. Below the shingles off the roof, either with Mothra or other flying monsters. And I, sure. I, I definitely want to say, I, I agree. That was really good. Especially their landscape stuff was really well done. Mm hmm. And, and, um, and also I, I think, uh, and, and I had, I had put it in my notes and, and you had already mentioned it, the, the way it played out like a horror film at the beginning, right? Yeah. That, that you kind of have this, this tension and then you have the big reveal, right? And then one of my favorite movie conventions, which is, what you thought was the big reveal was the small reveal. Yeah. And, and, oh, yeah. and yeah. oh my God, it is so much more on than you even thought. Yeah. You know we've what I mean? got uh, some wonderful uh, observations by some of the listeners about that. That's some, that's some good stuff. Yeah. I, I like that. And then, and then, you know, a couple of the images that stick out in my head in terms of what I really liked. Um, I, I, it, it's, it's very strong when they bring the bodies in to mm-hmm. like bathe mm-hmm. them and, and examine them those are those are very striking images and, and they hold up really well i mean this is 56 57 years old now and, yeah. and that's really impressive you know old, yeah and i also thought for whatever reason um the the, the blood splattered helmet when they cut from the guy in the sky yeah, yeah. right and then the you pilot, just yeah. see the cracked blood splattered helmet um and then they're talking about oh this was unfortunate or you know whatever they're yeah. saying <laughs> of course it was right? yeah <laughs> it's not a tragedy he died in the line of duty i also think like one of the enduring images of the film is just you know the last shot of the film of the rodans just flailing around in the lava mm-hmm. is just like very somber and you know kind of disturbing it ends very it's a very sad, sad ending. Yeah. Very much yeah. like the original Godzilla film. You know, yeah. they beat the monsters, but, but you don't feel good about it. it. Yeah, in a gruesome like, way. Yeah, yeah it's really feel, slow motion, yeah. gruesome. You don't feel elation yeah. from, from seeing them die in the flames of... Yeah, I mean, it, you know, like this film and, and uh, you know, the original Godzilla and, and Daimajin, they're just very dark. Yeah, you know, they're yeah. not. They're not for kids. I and that's what know, I think. Like, again, as I totally think that that's uh, exactly what they're going for at the time. They, you know, if you, I think we were talking about this in the car, Keith. Like, if you look at the at the span of Toho or just kaiju films, you know, they start off trying to mimic something, and they're all dark, and they're all um, brooding, and then you get into oh, what's working? You know, they they look at what's working, and then they. Uh, they start doing that again, and then they look. Oh, well, our audience is as kids now. That's weird, and so they bring in more kid-like elements, and then they're like, "Oh, we've lost the the adults altogether. Let's just make this a total kid fest." And it just becomes this uh, this long, you know, it's it's a cool cool road trip on on the you know in the landscape, but it's still it's one of those things where it's sort of easy to see when you step back 
and look at the entire thing. Like, yeah, these things started out like kind of scary. And especially for the original Godzilla film, if you were alive in 1954 and you saw that kind of destruction going on, it would be a little disturbing. I think I was listening to a commentary and uh, they were talking about how some people were watching the film in a theater that was getting destroyed or something like that in the film. And people started looking like they were getting nervous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I think uh, a horror film, I, I love the, the, the Rodan, the first, you know, the Rodan's first excursion is a horror film. And yeah, anyway, let's, let's talk about uh, things we maybe uh, didn't like about the film stuff, stuff that you thought was like, didn't hold up or was a little slow or this suits didn't look good or what have you the, the six hour sequence where explosions on the mountain were going off right? yeah with the same sound effect <laughs> yeah i actually Boom. timed that because i like i told you guys before i've seen this movie so many times four minutes and 20 some seconds Wow. yeah They're padding the running time i guess <laughs> i i honestly think they weren't trying to pad the runtime i think they were uh i think they were they were very pleased with the special effect shots and they were like, yes, use them all. You know, this, so the version we watched, the Japanese version is 80, is it 82 minutes? Uh, it's an interesting question because it's 82 minutes it and the Japanese, I said, no, I said. <laughs> the Japanese version is 82 minutes. No, you, Jeff, you're wrong. It's 82 you, minutes. And you know what, Jeff, the Japanese version is 82 minutes. <laughs> no, oh, and the, okay. the English version the English version is 72 minutes. Oh, wow. let, me, let me put that in my notes. Now, uh, <laughs> the English version, uh, by vocally speaking, so who has seen the English version here? Keith has. Nope. That's way to be vocal. Those are hands raised. I, uh, I raised my hand. By vocally speaking, yeah. and then... <laughs> yeah. I will tell everyone who's seen the American versions. Kyle's calling all the nays. And yeah. <laughs> Uh yeah, so it was Keith oh, seen the American seen. version, I've Brian seen. seen the American version, Jeff seen the American version. Yes, yeah. yes okay. Sir. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to call me <laughs> sir. He's <laughs> raising eyebrows now. I can't tell what he's voting. Please, uh, please don't <laughs> call me sir in my own house. Uh, so uh, the American version, while ten minutes shorter, does add footage like the beginning of Gigantus, and it's this whole nuclear thing. So like where Keith, you were talking about how the the nuclear threat sort of seemed like an afterthought or, you know, just kind of slid in at the last minute from the American version, which is what I've seen the most. Like, it definitely does not do that. It starts off with at least two gigantic stock footage nuclear explosions or, you know, megaton bombs or what have you. I can't remember what they're called. But uh, and then it talks about like it's I think it says uh but what are the cause, you know, what are the effects of these tests? And uh, there are some people in the Japanese islands that have, that believe that dire consequences are going to happen. And this is the story of one of those consequences. And it just like goes right into it there. And what they do is they actually trim out some of the, some of the longer shots, some of the, some of the stuff that, you know, is kind of unnecessary. The American version is actually kind of, I don't want to say better, but it's really kind of good. I mean, the narration in Gigantus the Fire Monster is, oh my God, so <laughs> prevalent and just, wordy. it's, it's like, yes, 
I see exactly what you're what you're telling us, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but the stuff that the way that they narrated Rodan, he was sort of describing more of the sort of uh, more of the feelings behind behind mm-hmm. things. Like, uh, and I'm not going to play any of it on the show, but it's it's not bad. I really would not. Uh, I would not hesitate to to suggest it to people. I would have to agree with Martin on that. We went back into the mine way too many times. If we would have just stayed in the mine once and done that whole opening sequence, but I noticed this time as well that it was just real slow. And I hadn't seen it since about the eighties, honestly. Oh wow! wow. So I remember I remembered a lot of it, but um, I didn't remember that being so tremendously slow. But it it's a slow movie. I mean. I think who was here when we watched the original Godzilla? Like, yeah, like I was. I me too. Thank you. <laughs> me too. <laughs> and I raised my hand. <laughs> you guys are making me laugh. Uh, the I you know I love the movie, but I have to say, like the original film is slow. I mean, that's I almost think like that's how we did it back in the day. You know, you made nothing was a breakneck speed. You didn't have a ton of edits, and I will concede that they could have spent a little less time in the mine but uh it, it's not one of the things that ever bothered me that the four and a half minute explosions on the mountain bother me a little bit uh i guess sure i guess i'll start talking about things that bother me in the movie i'm actually <laughs> i'm a huge fan of the actual suit like rodan as the suit oh, it looks so good but uh the marionettes version i guess you'd say the puppets look amazing when it's a hand puppet with the mouth that mm-hmm. actually think it i think those puppets look better than any other puppets i've ever seen in in the godzilla series mm-hmm. um but the 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 flying suits and or marionettes i'm just not a big fan of it kind of breaks it out of the out of the not realism it but it, it yeah. just doesn't doesn't no, really I mean, impress you, me as much yeah, because there are some times where you, I mean, obviously you see the wires in some parts, right? But then, then there's the other spots where it's just like, you know, the Rodan kind of takes off from the roof and then it's like, you know, yeah, there's yeah. no, there's no bird like aspect. Or like when it's laying on the ground and it takes off by flapping its wings on the ground. It's just, <laughs> it, I don't expect a 1950s production, specifically a Japanese production, to be able to reproduce a bird's flight, uh, you know, and takeoff and landing kind of wing motions at all. I don't expect that, but it's they just, little, they could have hidden it a little bit better. It's a little clumsy. Yeah. Know, in the effects department and some of that. Just, aspect. just those parts though. I and, mean, I and, would have liked to like, see the suit a little bit more. And like, like you had mentioned earlier about the, uh, you know, me- mega Nulons there, when you see them up close is a little, you know, not quite as um, imposing, yeah, yeah, imposing and a little kind of clumsy. And yeah, look like when two out. people get in a horse costume. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. very much. Yeah, well said. As as it was walking away into the into the the, the greenery, I guess you could yeah. say. Like I remember when I saw that as a kid, I was like, oh, it's getting away." But this time, I was just like, "Yeah, that's totally a guy in a costume." I remember <laughs> the first time I saw this, like when when the three. Uh, you know, soldiers are kind of tied together. Yeah, in yeah. The water. I remember that kind of like shook me up as a kid. I remember like in, because it, you really didn't yeah. know what the what you were dealing with. It's like, oh, your imagination is going, and uh, you know, well done. 
I thought it was. I mean, that scene still holds up fairly well. The the American version, uh, they they make it a lot. They make it a bigger point that they're tied together, and it's you know there was music in the Japanese version. Some of the Fukube's score was being played in the background. That's not the case in the American version. It's much more quiet, and there's uh, a point where the guy, the last dude, starts yelling out, and the dude in front's telling him to shut up, and it's just like it makes it a more tense scene. Yeah. And also, they have the one reference in the you know in the subtitles about his head is hanging on by what does he say like that by his yeah, 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 yeah just by yeah. the skin oh, yeah yeah, yeah. like it's pretty graphic for uh, that actually stuck in my head that 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 particular line yeah. stuck in my head for at least the next ten minutes of yeah. the film yeah it's like, I was just like wow that's a really striking description for yeah. sure yeah not a kids movie yeah let's see we talked about what we didn't like. Martin, we already know what you didn't like, unless you had other things. No, that was it. I mean, it yeah. was there was because there was good things about this film. Um, I do think the miniature work was really, really well done. I was really curious on this one because I was trying to make the whole Godzilla 2.0, and the original Godzilla movie is very dark, and not just thematically, but I mean visually. It, it, visually, it's a very dark film, and this film started out like they were trying to film it all at dusk or dawn or whatever. Like it was all very dark for a lot of that outside stuff outside of the mine. And I was really noticing that and just kind of trying to take note of how they lit it and all this other stuff. But then that movie, it, it, like this thing just changes all of a sudden. It's like, bam, now it's just daylight. Yeah. It's once daylight you get, the whole time. And once everything you get past is, the mines, everything absolutely. brightens up. Everything yeah. is daylight. Everything's during the day. Everything's really well seen. But that really led to some, you know, again, the, the model work was really, really well done. Yeah. Actually, there's one scene... Um, the, the speed of the film was a little too slow, but when Rodan like, uh, buzzes the Jeep as it's trying to get away and the Jeep flies into the rock and you can see the metal <laughs> crushing against the rock. Do you see the, you it's can see like the legs so pop good. out of there. You can actually see the person. Yeah. It looks so good <laughs> when that yeah. crushes on the, anyway, I, I love the, I love the attack on, I think it's Fukuoka. Uh, when, you know, it's Haru Nakajima in the suit and he's, you know, strung up with these cables and I'm sure it was, you know, it was uncomfortable at best <laughs> to be in that suit, but man, it just really looked good. I, it disappoints me that, uh, when Rodan comes back in Ghidra, the three headed monster, he doesn't look as awesome as he did in the first film, but yeah. What else, uh, anybody else have any notes they want to share? Cause uh, we've already talked about mostly what we normally discuss with these films isn't isn't this the first film in color um or is it this is the first kaiju film in color i don't know for sure if this is the first toho film in color it Toho released another film the same year yeah but not a you know not a kaiju film right yeah this is definitely the first color kaiju film i think that there's a uh I could be completely mistaken here, but there's a uh, trilogy of samurai movies with Toshiro Mifune that were all color, and that was kind of a big deal for them. Like, that was supposed to be an epic production, so it was color. But I'm not entirely sure on that. And it's not a Kurosawa movie either. It's just a Toshiro Mifune samurai movie. Yeah, essentially all I know are the, uh, all I know are the monster movies from Toho at this, at this time, at least. I uh, at least want to mention the music. It was great. Yeah, the music... M- music was... was just it, it 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 holds up well it stands out well his stuff um, always does yeah it it, it really is like it's, i can see why he scored so many films it's he, like timeless yeah you know what i like you about know. the score in this particular film is that 
it's before he gets. Mm, I don't want to sound negative because I'm not trying to say this, but Ifukabe repeats a lot of the same themes in his films. And this film, you don't hear a lot of those same themes in his other films. And so I, I almost feel like he was still really into it. And he was like, I'm going to do this uh, and I'm going to make us something really original. And of course, at the time, we're not talking about anything that, you know, if he repeated what, what he did in Godzilla, he probably would have been called out on it immediately. But uh, it's really good. And I, I, I'm very happy to to uh to hear that soundtrack in not only in the japanese version but in the american version it was really cool because um i i want to say there were a couple a couple times where they pulled the soundtrack out but they did not replace it with a bunch of stock music like they did in the other films it was also very uh very ominous score through and through which i mm-hmm. really like the, the the more ominous the better and i mean it's almost like nothing not a there, there. It was like 100% ominous music, which was cool. They, yeah. they you know, they like they, he just went for broke with it, which which I really liked. Very cool. All right, so let's move into final thoughts. Final thoughts, Martin. Uh, there was plenty to enjoy in this film. I would recommend this to somebody, though not as their first kaiju film. Okay, Jeff. I think this is one of the highlights of you know kaiju films or monster films in general and i would definitely show this as one of the landmark films to watch if you're getting into uh you know godzilla or japanese monster films for sure yeah i i enjoyed it as well i i I hadn't seen it since the 80s like i said and it was uh surprising to me how how well it was how well it held up i guess because i always had a high opinion of it so yeah i I, it really shocked me at how how good it was. Absolutely, that's good to be shocked in that way. I would say specifically for a film made so long ago. I um, have a lot of friends that are into horror films, but don't really know very much about kaiju films. So I think this would be a good one to show them, just because it is very much like we talked about. A kind of bridges film. the gap, yeah, in a it sense. Yeah. Does. So I think um, that it is something I would suggest to people that aren't necessarily into kaiju. Fantastic. And, and, uh, final thoughts from our, our special guest, Keith. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's, it's an archetype kind of movie. You know, it's, it's, it's James Brown at the live at the Apollo. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's something that, you know, and, and by that, I mean, you know, it was James Brown at the Apollo was an indication of where funk was going to go, you know, okay. and that, and that's what I like about this. You know, it's, that's it's, totally not where I thought you were going with that statement, <laughs> but please continue. <laughs> it's, 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 it's essential, you know. Oh, that's what I thought you were going to yeah, say is that yeah, it's, it's essential. It's, okay. it's absolutely essential and it's a, it's a key building block. You know, I think to, to what Martin said, I don't know if it's the first film I would, I would show somebody. Right, right. But it's definitely one of the films where you, 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 you have to see it if you're, if you're a kaiju fan. Oh, man. I would definitely say that if you are a kaiju fan, you haven't seen Rodan, you should drop what you're doing and track it down. It's available on Netflix. I mean, that's, that's pretty huge that you can go and watch it on Netflix. They've got a decent collection of the classic media stuff on there. Not to mention it was released by Classic Media, both with the American version and the Japanese version, which is what we watched tonight. Uh, and, of course, it's paired with another awesome movie, War of the Gargantuas, on that DVD. So uh, we got a great 
amount of homework to to uh to compliment this film from our listeners and this is how that went johnny writes in to say that rodan is one of his favorite non-godzilla kaiju movies and was one of his first non-godzilla movies he has only seen the american version of rodan but it's still a good film in general rodan is one of uh rodan is also one of his favorite godzilla foes slash allies which has influenced his opinion on this film Rodan was the first Toho kaiju film in color and looks fabulous. The dubbing is uh, is like most of the kaiju films, so we're used to it. Unfortunately, his only problem with this film is that it was used. It was the use of the giant bug, the Meganeuron, which was also seen in Godzilla vs. Megaguirus. Uh, it was only at the beginning and really had no use other than leading us to Rodan. The design of the original Rodan was excellent, and Toho did a really good job of making a flying kaiju, uh, caused so much destruction. Johnny also liked how they put two Rodans in the movie, causing a fear of them reproducing. It was sad seeing the Rodans dying in the volcano, but overall, it's a great kaiju film and a movie he would totally recommend to any G fan, uh, kaiju fan, or monster lover. Joe really enjoyed Rodan. The early scenes with the Mega Nulons are effectively horrific and suspenseful. He also liked how they built up the suspense before revealing Rodan himself. The scene where they look at the dead couple's camera negatives, which capture Rodan's wing, was eerie. It reminded him of In Search Of, Loch Ness episode with the famous flipper photo. Rodan looks cool with the, with the more reptilian eyes instead of the big doll eyes from the later films. Joe says that you can make fun of it, but he found that the ending is kind of sad. He would gladly recommend Rodan more in the spirit of the great 50s horror monster movies rather than a Godzilla kaiju movie. The honor goes to GMK with regard to as a near-perfect Godzilla movie. Jonathan thought that Rodan was an excellent film despite being a non-Godzilla film, although he does show up in future Godzilla pictures. He felt sad for Rodan when the mate died in the lava. He wants to know if this is the only Toho movie in which a mate of a kaiju species dies at the end. Yeah, so the the answer to that is yes. This is the only one where a, a mate is there and then dies. Uh, there is another kaiju film that has a mate. It's a it's like a family film, and that's Gappa, where there's uh, the 1967 Gappa, where there is a mother, a father, and a baby Gappa. Um, Jonathan also thinks that these kind of standalone films are great since they are uh, sub-stories to the Godzilla mythos, such as Baragon, Mothra, King Kong, and Gorosaurus. He's not sure if Ghidra or Angelus would be like that. Jamie likes to think that he has seen a lot of kaiju movies from Japan, and that out of all of them, it felt like Rodan has the slowest build-up to Rodan's appearance and his reign of destruction over Japan. That isn't to say that the movie dragged, simply that it had a longer, slower buildup to the main monster's appearance than any of the other Godzilla movies. Looking at this era of filmmaking, it's always a treat for the visual art on display, such as the merging of the live-action shots with the matte paintings, which are always beautifully drawn, and the scale of which the monsters fight. There's always more detail in the structures uh, that are destroyed, and you can see it here as well. The sets for the mines and the underground cavern that Rodan was in uh, were wonderful, and uh, he would have loved the chance to have just sat there and looked at everything in person. The mood in the beginning is creepy, dark, and claustrophobic. Good point, actually. I, I, something I meant to mention, it kind of reminds me of The Descent, in a sense. Anyway, uh, and claustrophobic. 
there are some genuinely scary moments, uh, such as seeing the shadows of the monsters on the mine walls and their first appearance. Seeing them with the humans also added for, added to the fear factor of seeing Rodan for the first time, because here were these huge bugs that could kill humans. They shrugged off machine gun fire, and yet Rodan was snacking on them like chips. This movie is another first, he imagines, because so far as he knows, it was the only one to first have flying monsters. Godzilla was always ground-based until his 70s encounter with Hedra, and the aerial battles with jets were done really well, reminding Jamie of Star Wars, the original trilogy. One thing he did notice, though, was that every interior shot of the pilots in their jets, the background was moving sideways, making it seem like the jets were moving sideways as well. Uh, Also, in seeing Rodan taking off, it looked every bit like this was the first time they were hoisting someone up on strings. Now, Haruo Nakajima probably weighed 160, like 160 pounds, and that suit was most likely another 100 pounds. So no wonder poor Rodan looked like he was flopping around when trying to take off from the ground when the tanks and missile launchers were attacking him. And he was crashing into buildings, giving the appearance that Rodan had uh, a few of those berry bomb drinks that King Kong had in King Kong vs. Godzilla. Jamie mentions that in an interview... Uh, he had with Sci-Fi Japan, Haru Nakajima talked about how he almost died in this movie when the rig uh, holding him up came to a sudden stop and he got tangled in the wires, which then snapped. Fortunately, it was done. Uh, it was a shot done over water and landing in the water saved his life. Scary. This movie also ties in continuity-wise to Ghidra, the three-headed monster, because in the end, uh, it ends with two Rodans being buried alive in a volcanic eruption. And when Rodan makes his appearance in Ghidra, He's digging himself out of a volcano. Overall, this is a movie Jamie would show to beginning fans after they had seen one or two other kaiju films to give them a sense of history and just what they did to bring these monsters to life. In Connor's opinion, Rodan is an okay movie. The plot was good, the suits were great, the miniature work was fantastic, and the Mega Nulon were a nice touch, although they felt unnecessary by the end. Despite this, the movie was a bit silly at times. Rodan leaves a jet trail? The monster action was incredibly cool, especially when two Rodans when two Rodans attacked the same city. When the two Rodans died, Connor could practically hear them cursing the humans as they burned to death. Overall, he would show this movie to a new kaiju fan to show them that it starts good and gets better. Rick and his son watched Rodan together and both enjoyed the ending of the American one and felt that the narration made you really feel for the monsters. For this review, Mike Keller of Monster Attack Team rewatched both the Japanese and American versions of Rodan. The last time he did this, he came away with the impression that this was a rare instance where he actually preferred the American version. This time, he's not so sure. He enjoyed the Japanese film more than he had on his last viewing, but still thinks that some of the changes made to the American film do improve the movie. It seems tighter and more urgent both because it's actually shorter and because a lot of the incidental music and narration was added to scenes that were previously silent. Unlike Gigantus the Fire Monster, Key Luke's narration was nowhere near as intrusive here and actually added a lot to the climax. The biggest improvement made by the American film is undoubtedly the choice to have the two Rodans appear at the same time before the main attraction rampage. Here, it's an event, and its, occur- and its occurrence makes a difference. The original's introduction of the second beast is more like an afterthought. It happens after most of the action has already passed, and doesn't really change anything. That isn't to say that Mike prefers everything about the American version. In the original Japanese, we see more of the Mega Nulon. Uh, the American movie has has to open with the dreaded cliche of atomic bomb footage again. There's a strange visual blooper that only appears in the American version, 
When Rodan first attacks the self-defense force plane, in the background of the control tower, we see a plane traveling down the runway and then suddenly start moving backwards. The Japanese version does make sense out of something Mike never understood before, the scene with the hysterical woman trying to get into Kiyo's house. We see here that that is the wife of someone who is lost or killed in the mine, and she's trying to take revenge for her, for her husband because she thinks that Kiyo's brother Goro killed him, and the other village women are trying to stop her. Some other observations. The translation in the classic media disc mentions global warming. Were people using that term in the 1950s? This film depicts Rodans as people eaters, something that was never touched on again. Wires. Not once in all of his viewings of Rodan previously did Mike ever notice the wires supporting the Rodan costume. This time they were so obvious as to almost give the impression that Subaraya wanted people to see them, and Mike will never be able to not see them again. A part of his childhood enjoyment of this picture just died. Rodan will still be fun, but never as much fun as it was before he saw those cables. Wires aside, Rodan has never looked as good as he did in this movie, and the puppet head is probably the best such prop ever used in a kaiju film, much better than the Gojira puppet from 1954. Rodan is actually pretty high up on Mike's list of favorite Toho monsters, and he prefers Rodan to Mothra, easy Jeff, but doesn't think they have ever been done the same justice. <laughs> Sorry. Verbally. Yeah. Verbally. No, no, not verbally. Don't do that verbally. Uh, he prefers Rodan to Mothra, but doesn't think that they have ever been done the same justice, visually or otherwise, as in this film. Finally, this was released in the U.S. by the King Brothers, who also handled Gorgo. Some of the stock footage of the American military at the beginning of the U.S. version also appears in Gorgo. From Adam. Rodan was Honda and Toho's first Japanese fantasy film made in color, one of only 32 of the 514 Japanese features produced in color when it was released to theaters in 1956. It also gave Kenji Sahara his first starring role and George Takai his first voice acting gig. So I have a, a little side note there because, you know, we all know that Rodan came out after Godzilla Raids again in Japan, but I think that this may have been, may have been uh, Takai's first uh, acting credit because Rodan came out fairly quickly, came out in 1956 in Japan, 1957 here in America, where Gigantus the Fire Monster didn't come out until 1959, like five years later. So, Okay, back to Adam. So many good effects shots, but Adam's favorite has to be the confrontation between Rodan and the military tanks and rocket launchers in Fukuoka, which was brilliantly executed by Tsuburaya and his crew. Ufukube's music is dark and foreboding, while other cues are intensely emotional. One can sense his elation upon scoring the film. Rodan is definitely one of the best movies the team of Honda, Tsuburaya, Ufukube ever made. If Godzilla had been the start, then Rodan is the flying leap that catapulted Japanese monster movies into the critically admired mainstream international cinema. Rodan, the greatest movie ever. Keith edit, Rodan for the win. <laughs> James writes in and says... Rodan is in all respects a giant monster movie classic if James ever saw one. It's a shame, however, that it seems to be a rather unappreciated movie, especially considering that it was Toho's very first color film. James considers it to be the best kaiju film Toho made during its experimentation period and loves how the plot starts out building suspense and tension with the mining situation. The first appearance of the Meganulons in, in Kaiyo's house? Kyo. Kyo. In Kyo's house early in the film is honestly one of the most frightening moments he's ever seen in a Japanese monster film, hearkening back to the cult classic B-movie, Them. 
The reveal of the Mega Nulon are now the real problem was a very surprising twist, and when the two Rodans enter the picture, they truly do steal the show. James' only problem is that the movie is a little on the short side, the American version clocking in at only an hour and ten minutes, and the same uh, of E.J. Tsuburaya's amazing special effects were cut out of the American release. Overall, this is an easy recommendation to any giant monster movie fan, and undoubtedly one of Toho's finest. Matt and his dog Ashley think that Rodan is like a beta version of what kaiju movies are supposed to be. While Rodan is a Showa-era film, its stylistic similarity to American sci-fi movies of the time sets it apart from later Showa efforts. 1954's Them, or The Deadly Mantis, as well as countless other sci-fi movies of the time made in the States, do have monsters in them, but they're not about the monsters. Really, they're about how people react to the monsters. Rodan is not any different. A couple of mutated pteranodons (laughs) fly around Japan breaking things and killing people. Neither of the Rodans or the giant ants in them or the giant mantis have any personality of their own. They exist only as the drivers of human drama. And the humans and their drama in Rodan work just fine. It's a decent movie overall, but falls short of the later Toho movies. This is not to say the later movies were always better. It's more that the concept of kaiju movies had matured. Growing up watching films like Monster Zero, Son of Godzilla, Godzilla vs. Megalon, Matt got to see the monster's personalities come through. They talk to one another, they raise kids, they do tag team wrestling, and it's those things that makes a satisfying kaiju film in my eyes. Rodan is just another monster movie. A good one, sure, but it wasn't until 1962 that kaiju movies went from beta to version 1.0 with Godzilla fighting King Kong. Brian loves Rodan. It was one of his first Toho films, and it has always been a favorite. It starts out like a murder mystery with the grisly butcherings in the mines by the Mega Nulon, and then suddenly we get super sexy giant birds flying around and destroying Japan. The effects, while not impeccable, are solid. Scenes of the city literally being blown away are well done, although now that he thinks about it, a bird just standing there flapping its wings to create wind gusts is kind of a silly attack. And this is probably the best Rodan suit ever present in a film. In the later films, he starts to look more and more like a Muppet or something. Also, props for the homage to the plane-chasing supersonic speed aircraft that results in the pilot's death that was an actual event that happened to Thomas Mantell in 1948. Rarely do kaiju films have the opportunity to mimic real events, so it was neat to see them incorporate basically the same incident. Okay, so I actually have a photo here of the uh, plaque for Captain Thomas F. Mantell Jr., and it it does actually say, The story of Mantell's death while uh, chasing UFO made headlines across the country. Intense military investigations of incident... Incidents... Incident? It says incident. It's singular. Uh, became part of uh, Project Sign, later called Blue Book, the military's investigations into the UFOs. Much speculation and conjecture has been written about the incidents. It's still uncertain what Mantell was pursuing at the time of the crash. So, it's still a mystery. Like the beginning of this Rodan movie. <laughs> okay. As a kid, Harold remembers two things that really stuck with him about this movie. First, when they're bombing the mountain and they show the two Rodans roaring with their heads uh, between the cracks of the mountains, it scared him. 
thinking about being trapped in a mountain and the only thing you have is a tiny sliver of space so small you can't even stick out your head. He knew that must feel he knew that must feel terrible. It would never want to be trapped in small confining spaces like that. Second, when the two Rodans have their death scene in the fiery lava, Harold knew that would be a terrible way to die. I think I agree with that, right? <laughs> Doesn't sound pleasant. Uh, seeing the Rodans on fire and flopping around screaming brought chills to him. The effects of that scene were very effective. As an adult, Harold recently watched it on Netflix for the first time in a long time. He forgot that the suits were different for this one as opposed to the Rodan suit in all the other Godzilla movies. Uh, he actually prefers this suit. It seems to have more action to it, a lot more flexible and looked like uh, looked a lot more menacing. The head on this Rodan was great with black eyes and a bigger beak. During his attack on the city, Rodan looked a lot larger than he remembered. Two things struck Harold while watching this as an adult. First, the editing in this Netflix version was not very good and made the movie confusing. During the battle scenes, it was hard to follow who was, uh, who was where and the scope of the battle. Quick cuts between close-ups of Rodan's face with the scenes of another one flying around were too disjointed. The biggest example of bad editing was during the death scene. So somehow the Rodans escape from being trapped and one of them flies right into a spewing fiery volcano. That actually happens in the, in the Japanese version too. Uh, and, and then both, both of them are flying again and the other one slowly hovers over the volcano and dies. And then the other one joins him catching fire and then it's not on fire. Uh, he rewound the movie to make sure that he hadn't missed something, but no. The, the other thing that struck him was the number of explosions on the mountain in the last five minutes of the movie. <laughs> he doesn't know if they were really jazzed about their new effects or what, but it just seemed like overkill. Maybe they were paid per explosion? There were 48 explosions once Operation Rodan begins. Yes, Harold actually counted all the explosions, and yes, Harold is a big kaiju geek. Harold had two questions. Um, what was uh, up with Rodan's breath attack? Was it typhoon power with the bad editing of the movie? It seemed to indicate that Rodan was actually the big bad wolf and huffed and puffed and blew all the houses down. So that's uh, the first question. Unfortunately, I don't have any kind of like uh, Toho books that say what the powers are of these monsters, but I imagine that they said, oh, this worked in Godzilla. Let's do the same thing in, uh, in Rodan. And then they never did it again. Um, so, you know, the breath. You guys saw that, right? Um, okay. Uh, and then the second question was, in Rodan's next movie, Ghidra, did he ever explain his, re his reappearance? They don't exactly explain it, but because he was, uh, you know, he died, in quotation marks, uh, in the fiery lava of Mount Aso, I would imagine that that's sort of like why what they're saying is he, he came back through the mountain. Andy has no trouble putting Rodan among the best in the genre. It is a monster movie masterpiece. What he loves about this movie is that the monsters are, in part, the victims. They are not acting with evil intentions. They simply woke up and went about their business and got killed for it. The special effects are also terrific. The miniature work is very convincing, and the city destruction scenes are some of the best in a kaiju movie. The suit is terrific, but it's too bad that the original is the best Rodan has ever looked. The subsequent Showa suit is a little too comical for Andy. This is definitely a movie he would show to friends, and only a robot wouldn't feel a twinge of sadness when these misunderstood monsters die a fiery death together at the end. Tristan writes in to say that Rodan is a very different entry into Toho's daikaiju genre and only Toho's third attempt at a giant monster movie. 
Obviously eager to create a monster and a film that could easily be distinguished from Godzilla, Toho did everything they could to differ, differ Rodan from their original giant monster film, and they succeeded in doing so. Everything about this movie is fresh and original. We begin with a coal mine murder mystery, followed by the reveal of the killer, giant dragonfly nymphs called Meganulon. But just when you think these murderous bugs are the only things you have to worry about, we find out that there's nothing but that they are nothing but baby food for an enormous flying reptile called Rodan. But wait, there's two Rodans. This movie just keeps upping the ante. As for the tone and story of the film, Rodan may be even more somber than Godzilla, if that's even possible. With ample innocent deaths, accusations of murder, memory loss from traumatic shock, and the slaying of two monsters in love, Rodan takes the cake for a sad and depressing monster movie moment. Uh, you don't have to, <laughs> you don't have a beating heart if your eyes don't get a little misty at the uh, at the end, watching one of the Rodans fall to embrace its dying mate as they burn to death in the lava. Speaking of the Rodan's death, Tristan wants to bring up an interesting point. This film's moral is the antithesis to the original Godzilla's, and Godzilla, a living metaphor for the atomic bomb, goes out of its way to attack Japan who is innocent of any atomic testing, in order to teach humanity that they should not be playing with such destructive power. In Rodan, however, man decides to brutally kill two, essentially, innocent animals in their, in their home because they're getting in man's way. In one film, Honda says man loses against nature, but man wins against nature in another. Interesting dichotomy. Overall, Rodan is a fantastic film. The suits are phenomenal, and the explosions at the end... <laughs> Go on for just a little too long. We get it. You're blowing the mountain up. James T. says that Rodan is a very good entry into the giant monster forum. The voiceover is not as bad as Godzilla raids again. The human elements are far better handled here with families wanting to find lost husbands or boyfriends and the paranoia that sets in is done really well. James thinks it was smart to have the creation of these giant bugs that later pays off in a big way. The monster scenes are done well, all but the part where Rodan takes off. That looks very hokey. He really likes that the speed of the giant monster creates these shock waves and high force winds, which is new. There is a weird part, though. It looks like Rodan is blowing high force winds from his mouth. Also, the addition of a second Rodan is really good. The actors are very, very stiff, especially the lead actor who has a hard time expressing his emotions. James really liked the idea that seeing the hatching Rodans traumatized him into a state of amnesia, forgetting everything until the hatching of the baby Robins brought the terror back. All in all, a really solid monster movie, and James would give it a 4 out of 5. Question from James. What is with the weird statement that the lead actor makes at the end of the movie? Quote, I wondered whether I, a 20th century man, could ever hope to die as well. Uh, so that is from the dubbed version. And I'm guessing that what the screenwriter meant was that our narrator, Shigeru, wishes that he could die as well as the Rodans did by welcoming death instead of the alternative, which for the Rodans was to live without its mate. Ern actually submitted his homework in the same format we usually do with the movies here. He watched the classic media English dubbed version on Netflix, and he hadn't seen the film since he was a kid. Initial thoughts. Point one right off. Was the atomic hydrogen bomb warning footage just tacked on as par for the course in the monster movies? Most of the film indicates Rodan is unleashed due to the mining operations, though there is one line that says it was a bomb testing that hatched the egg. It still felt forced. What Ern liked? Overall, the movie is very good. The monsters looked good, the miniatures looked great, and the human drama was done well. 
Highlights include the egg flashback scene with Rodan hatching. The scene is pretty awesome, and the actor actually does a great job portraying emotions right up to the evident mind snap as he just stumbles off. The city attack scene is also done great. Despite there never being any reaction other than Rodan must be destroyed, at least in this version, the ending is still handled mournfully. What Earn didn't like? Really just a few nitpicky things mostly dealing with the dialogue, which uh, could just be dubbed. Bodies described as slaughtered and hacked to pieces had no evident wounds at all. Also, how they claim that men died of shock after being mutilated. They say that Rodan, unlike a pteranodon, is carnivorous. So, pteranodons aren't? Brilliant science moment. When asked where to look for Rodan, the scientist states, since it was hatched from the mine and returned to the volcano, to search between the mine and the volcano. Now that guy's a thinker. <laughs> Someone call Alex Jones. Rodan's releasing chemtrails. <laughs> so Alex Jones is a right-wing conservative radio host and documentarian. I had to... I had oh, to, that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I see, I, I didn't know who that was before I read this from Ern. <laughs> One last petty thing, an assignment for Kaiju 101. Where the heck, where the heck is creeping floor? Oh, what the heck is a creeping floor? So there's a there's a line in a in the American the version. American, I must, yeah. And and I actually used used the Google to to look up uh, mining and then in quotation marks creeping floor. Every single result that I got was a reference to Rodan. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what a creeping floor is. <laughs> Something lost in the translation. So question. In the city attack scene, there are two shots, maybe the same shot shown twice, where Rodan is using some type of breath attack. Is this just more wind, or was this something that was never quite developed? Yeah, I guess just... I I, I really think that's just like Rodan has his own sort of like wind breath kind of thing. So the final thoughts? Really well done film all around. Yes, Ern does recommend this film to non-kaiju fans. It's well done in the early threat of Meganulon, Meganulon, Meganuron. Is <laughs> 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 cool before building up to the reveal of Rodan. Robert loves Rodan. They played this constantly on TV when he was a kid, and it is one of the few kaiju movies that actually frightened him. That creepy noise from the bug creatures. The horrified reaction from all the characters and the excellently creepy music from Afukabe make this film a true scare fest. Robert's question is this. Did the same voiceover crew from Godzilla Raids Again work on Rodan? It really sounds like Sulu, Yogi Bear, and Boris Badenoff in the English dub. So yes, uh, many of the same voice actors were used. Key Luke provides the narration, just like he did in Gigantus the Fire Monster. George Takei uh, provides the professor's voice in this film, and uh, other noteworthy actors were Paul Fries and uh, Art Gilmore. Then um, also, there was one point where I was watching the American version, and I recognized James Yagi, who's the, uh, he's the Japanese correspondent, the Japanese UN correspondent from King Kong vs. Godzilla. I recognized his voice as well. James H. found this movie to be cheesier than the three cheese nachos, but other than that, rather enjoyable. The kaiju action was handled well, and the sets looked good for a movie of its age. The sounds the Mega Nulons make is like an over-caffeinated dog chewing on a squeaky toy. 
Other than that, he liked them and even found them a bit cute, especially when the one that attacked the village attacked two of the pursing guards. Is that how you say it? Oh, no, sorry. Pursuing. Pursuing I think that's a typo. It looked like an overexcited child playing with two dolls. As for the lovely Rodan couple, James greatly enjoyed the suits better than the other Showa incarnations. He also noticed that the English dub, it's the only dub I own, Shigeru uses honorifics like Kyochan and Gorosan. The rest of the English dub was less than spectacular. Dr. Sunikawa? I don't know how to say that word very well. Let's just say uh, Akiko Hura. No. Uh, Yeah, I think that's Sunikawa. Sunikawa's? All right. Uh, Dr. Sunikawa's voice was specifically bad. I swore he said reptiles when he meant to say reptiles, Jim says. But that's like uh, when somebody says robots Mm -hmm. instead of robots. And also on the Australian dubs of some Godzilla movies. Godzilla. Godzilla. Yeah, Godzilla. Yeah. R to the end. <laughs> yeah. Outside of their voices, the humans weren't overly annoying, save, save for Kyo's constant crying. James especially liked how they seemed to be sad when the Rodans fell to their fiery demise and was definitely a little sad to see a pair of his favorite kaiju die. James would try to show this to a first-time kaiju viewer, but try to get a hold of the Japanese audio with English subtitles first. For Nick, Godzilla is his all-time favorite kaiju monster, but Rodan is his favorite kaiju movie. This is one of the rare instances where an American version is better than the Japanese counterpart. This movie had all the aspects of what you would want in a kaiju film. The horrors of the mine shaft with the killer insects, the military fight against the giant monsters and awesome city destruction scenes. Nick also liked the way the American version introduces the second Rodan, switching the frame from the first Rodan's appearance as opposed to him just showing up in the near uh, near the end in the Japanese version. All in all, this is a great film and would suggest it as any first-time kaiju viewer. Rodan is one of Steven's favorite kaiju films. He originally watched it as a kid on the Midnight Creature feature on a, uh, late on a Saturday night. The fact that he was the only one awake with the lights out merely added to the creepy factor of the monsters in the mine, and there weren't and they weren't even the main monster. There are so many fine elements to this film. It easily rivals Gojira and Mothra as a standalone project. Mr. Nakajima is great in the suit sequences as he destroys the city, floating from miniature building top to the train tracks below. Excellent work all around. The effects of the monster submerging under the bridge and re-emerging from the water was stunning. There was an amazing model of it at G-Fest last year. If he had anything critical to say, it would be the Meganeuron costume. Back in his youth, Stephen thought it was incredibly awesome. Watching as an adult, he appreciates it for the craft of its time, but finds it lacking compared to what he is used to now. Finally, he would definitely show this to kaiju newbies. Derek, a.k.a. Brother D, from the Mail Order Zombie podcast and the 1951 Down Place podcast, is keeping it short and sweet. Rodan is awesome. It's a great film. Blending the serious storytelling we saw in the original Godzilla with a great-looking giant monster that feels more at home in the later Toho films. He loves the monster design, and the stories of the human characters are as good as anything he's seen in the earlier Toho kaiju productions. Love it. Give Derek more Rodan! (laughs) See, I knew you'd be perfect to read that, Jeff. (laughs) Uh, John loves this film. The story from beginning to end was put together really well. The mystery in the mind at the beginning was creepy and tense. The attack on the three miners as they delve deep into the water still works for him, no matter how many times he sees it. 
The Meganeuron were a great depiction of what was to come. Uh, Rodan's first a- appearance via Shigeru's flashback was amazing. It put an exclamation point on the true terror when Rodan gobbled down on the Meganeuron. From the attack on the city to the ro- to Rodan's uh, emotional demise, this movie is a definite must-see, an absolute classic. That being said, it may seem strange for him to throw this opinion in. This movie is not meant for HD TVs. John's excitement when he received his Rodan slash Gargantua DVD was very high. Then, as he watched the Japanese version with that crystal clear picture, he noticed the wires coming off of Rodan that he had never noticed before. He's a kaiju fan and not blind to the fact that wires were used in these movies, but it was a bit of a shock to the system to see this. John has since watched the movie several times and still enjoys it. So a question for the kaiju cast crew. So this is everybody. Uh, if Toho or someone else came along and used present-day technology to clean up the wire shots, would you be okay with it, or would you feel uh, that leaving it alone is the best way to go? I have. I don't really have a big problem with it. I don't know. I, I know it's like you know, it's a sign of the times. So I, I, I honestly would not have a problem with it because, um, uh, case in point, uh, any Star Trek fans in the room here with me? Some nods. Okay, that's good. Yes. I didn't raise my okay. hand. <laughs> the, uh, the original Star Trek series, the original series, uh, was, was put out, I guess, on DVD a little while ago, and they essentially did like a special edition version of it, yeah, except that... they didn't mess with anything. They just improved on the effects. And so every time I turn it on and they do something like look at the view screen, I'm like, oh my gosh, that looks amazing. It looks so good. And they, you know, when they're flying around the planets and stuff, it's, it does nothing but improve the entire process for me. So yeah, I, I vote for A-OK. Yeah, yeah just... if, if if it doesn't intrude on anything, right? Yeah, so for yeah, sure. If you want to clean up the wires, fine. But like, you know, don't don't have Rodan shoot first or anything. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't insert uh, yeah. a gig, you know, a gigantic mega neuron that Rodan has to step over. That would be just be silly. Uh, and that was it. Those were our those were our assignments. I did not count how many people, but uh, we got a whole bunch of assignments in right at the wire. So well done on that, you guys. Um, our next month's movie for March 2013 is the next movie in the entire Toho lineup. It's actually uh, The Mysterians from 1957. Should be a good time to watch that. And uh, if you want to get your homework in, Make sure you send that in before the last week of the month. And I should probably, you know, do something uh, responsible by, you know, actually looking and seeing what the last week is like. Okay, so the last full week. So send it in before the 23rd of March. Uh, and we're going to be watching the Japanese subtitle, the Japanese version with English subtitles, because I think that's the only version that is uh, commercially available. It's from Media Blasters. So I have a room full of very tired people here. I can tell. I can look around the room. It's it's almost midnight. So you guys did a really good job. And the cake is empty. <laughs> is it really? Okay, I'm out. Is the show is over? Did the cake blow? Oh, that is not cool, dude. Don't wait. Way to hit the nerve. Let's get into the news. This is United Nations reporter Eric Carter with the news. The world is stunned to discover that prehistoric creatures exist in the 20th century. The armies have been alerted as we wait for more news from Japan. So the microphones were totally still on during that part. I'll just have to do something with that. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's totally cool. Well, that that was the news. That was the news. It's Friday. It's Friday. Good night. Now, <laughs> um, okay. So there's only two news items. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is uh, our listener Andy Campbell has just started his own kaiju related podcast called Kaiju 101. Don't listen to it. This is now my new competition, and we must crush him. That's a joke. Andy's a good dude. So uh, check the show notes for the link to his new podcast. The second thing, and the only other item in the news, is that there's a brand new episode of Sci-Fi Japan TV where they talk about Yasuyuki Inoue, uh, who is the one of the art directors and designers of many classic kaiju stuff. Uh, definitely check that out. And again, subscribe and all that good stuff. Uh, very quickly, wanted to go uh, talk about a couple of local events or a handful of local events. The main one is uh, starting tomorrow because it is Thursday. But if you're listening to this anytime after tonight, which is impossible uh, to listen to it before the end of tonight, since we're six minutes away from tomorrow. Man, this is uh, crazy time travel stuff I'm talking about here. Yeah. Is uh, the start of Wizard World Portland Comic Con. And uh, I'm going to be there along with my good friend Keith. Yes. We're sharing a table. Table is it 803, I think? It's a booth. It's a booth. It's it's a tesseract. It's actually interdimensional, and it's the size of a planet (laughs) once you step inside. Nice. Cool. No, but it's like a 10 by 10 booth, so it's, yeah, plenty of room to chill and... Excellent. Look Excellent. At all that's a sweet tesseract or a TARDIS. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, we'll we'll be there uh, promoting the podcast, and uh, we'll uh, let's say that again. We'll be there promoting Kadoja. Yeah, and uh, and the podcast as well. And uh, we have some really cool exclusive items that uh, we're, are we're, only we're available. We're promoting Kadoja meeting the kaiju. Cast. Oh yes, yes. Imagine, imagine what sort of interesting artwork that could produce. Exactly, exactly. And I'm going to be there uh, all weekend. And uh, you're going to be there all weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun. It is at the Oregon Convention Center. Uh, check the show notes for a link to Wizard World Portland Comic Con. Also, uh, the 22nd, which is tomorrow at 8 p.m., Kirby Crackle and the Double Clicks are playing at Backspace um, on the 23rd at 6.30 p.m. and 11 p.m. Geek Lesk returns to the Star Theater with Geek Lesk Gets Weird which is a Weird Al tribute. We're totally going to that. Yeah. It's going to be Come awesome. Us. Exactly. Uh, at On the 24th at 9 p.m., the video game quiz show comes back to ground control. On the 27th at 6 p.m., OMSI presents uh, their Mythbusters After Dark program, which I don't really know that much about, but it sounds sounds intriguing. Uh, on the 27th at 7 p.m., James Asmus is saying, uh, signing his Gambit Comet Oh my gosh! See, it's late. He's signing a comet. He's signing his his new Gambit comic book at the Portland Things from Another World, uh, which is always a good time. Free food, and of course, if you are over twenty one, free beer will be available. Um, again, another thing on the twenty seventh at eight p.m. at the Alberta Rose Theater, Will Wheaton versus Paul and Storm. On the twenty eighth at nine p.m. Uh, Ground Control, their comedy night happens. No pun intendo is what that's called. I really have to check that out someday. Uh, next weekend, the 1st through the 3rd of March is Emerald City Comic Con. Always a big deal, big show. They're touting it as their biggest show yet. Uh, so I'll be heading up there with Jeff, which will be awesome. Yes, it will be fantastic. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> and uh the, then uh, on the 5th at 7 p.m., Geek Trivia is at the Kennedy School. On the 7th of March at 7.30 p.m., Comics Underground comes back to the Jack London Bar. There's just a handful of events 
that are happening here in Portland. If you are anywhere near the area or feel like visiting the Portland area and you're a geek or a nerd or a combination of the two, make sure you go to geekportland.com for all of those awesome events and uh, and uh, check out the links in the show notes to the ones that we talked about. Let us close this program down. If you found the KaijuCast through iTunes or some other podcast directory and you want to experience all there is to experience about the KaijuCast, point your web browser to kaijucast.com. We have the full list of Daikaiju discussions up there. Every show is available through the uh, website if you don't you know, have the ability to subscribe via iTunes or some other podcatcher. Uh, and if you can, please do subscribe to the podcast. It actually helps our numbers. And uh, if you're subscribing through iTunes, you know, it would be super awesome, you guys, if you left a review. And I'm not just talking to the people in here because I know that Mr. Martin Vaver left the very first review. And I think Brian Cook left one as well. Uh, the rest of you are dead to me. And we are... That's <laughs> not true. Uh, anyway, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, there's a very cool nifty contact form on the website as well. And, oh man, you know what? I don't really have that much more to talk about. And we have six people here. Did you all come up with something cool to say at the end of the show aside from... <laughs> no, okay. I think we should thank Keith for being our... Yeah, yeah, oh my God, thank you. Great. See, I need somebody to... Okay. Keith, thank you for joining us. It was awesome. It was awesome. Thank you for flying out to Portland just to be on the Kaiju Cast and for no other reason at all. That is it. (laughs) I'm flying home right now. Um, Well, we are going to close out the show with another Rodan song. This one is actually from uh, Final Wars, Godzilla Final Wars. This is a track by Keith Emerson. It is called Rodan Attacks New York City. And we will see you in March or see you at uh, one of those awesome events we're talking about. Jamata. Jamata.